0: My husband was coming home from Vietnam and he was going to land in Memphis, Tennessee. So I drove up to meet him and I am directionally challenged and there was no GPS.
1: So that's like the first point where I knew I had a daughter, but it was still gonna be seven more weeks before I got to come home and meet you.
2: One person has to stay home, raise the kids, keep the household, do everything, and then six months later, their spouse comes back.
3: One of the guy's call signs was Cooter. So one of them had embroidered on this like massive bra, Cooters Hooters.
4: So here's, you know, the love of my life is leaving me, not to mention I'm pregnant.
5: Welcome to This Military Life Podcast, our place to hear conversations and stories from real people about the tremendous influence the military has on everyone. I'm Danielle Brown, and I grew up in a military household until I was in college where I studied media creation. It was there when I decided to talk to people, listen to their stories, and create a documentary podcast series about This Military Life. This episode focuses on how different people cope with part of their family missing for various periods of time. Obviously, I know what it means when active duty military leave, but I asked my dad to explain. What is a deployment?
1: So a deployment, it uh, it can vary. It depends on the service and, you know, who you're talking about. I mean, from a Navy standpoint, typically that's a deployment on a ship that departs. And uh, in the old days, that used to be a it was kind of very structured it was six months of a deployment then you were usually home for about a year and a half then you would go on another six month deployment uh, that's sort of changed now the, the blueprint is different uh, it also might be different for like say Air Force like if you're a if you're a doctor you might do a 45-day rotation come back and then do another 45-day rotation you know some other time but from like the Navy standpoint um, it's generally speaking, somewhere in the six to nine month uh, long, I think. I mean, my, like my last one, I think, was eight and a half months uh, or so. But back in the day, it used to take an act of Congress to make a deployment go longer than six months. But in today's environment, that's obviously different now. So.
5: My friend John asked me how many deployments my dad has been on.
1: So how many?
3: Do you ever... Do you ever count?
5: I told him that my dad has been on six deployments, but when my mom and I calculated it, including the times when my dad was gone for non-deployment trips, he non-consecutively missed over six years of my life. But it's fine.
3: Six years. It's funny, too, because, you know, we kind of shake and go. It's fine. And you learn how to make it fine because you don't have a choice. People are just like, oh, oh, I don't know how you do it. And it's like, well, you get out of bed and then, you know... You might feel sorry for yourself for a couple of minutes, and then you take a shower, and then you do what you gotta do.
5: I had a conversation with my friend Zoe about her experience with her father's military career. Do you remember what it was like when your dad was on deployment?
6: Oh yeah, Um, which was two times, two, three times. Three deployments, yeah. And that um, was all while you were living in Fallon? Okay, one in Nebraska and then two in Fallon. What was that like? I don't, that's a good question. Because I remember it, but I don't remember. It just was like just part of life. Like, I don't really remember it being. Like, I, I bet it was hardest on my mom. But at the time, you don't realize that. Sure. You're just living your 12-year-old or 13-year-old life, you know? Yes. Um, but I own. remember being excited to like you, we did we did like the paper ring thing where yes. you take a ring off every day. That must be where I learned it from because yeah, um, our family did the same thing. <laughs>
5: but,
6: <laughs> you know, and then like putting the care packages together that was always exciting. Yes, and, um, so we made. I, I feel like it was just part of life, and we made it the best we could. You know, and we, but it was also we couldn't we couldn't talk that much because it's not like there was. The the ways of communication like there are now. Like, there are some people who go on to, like, I have a friend whose husband deploys and they, like, talk on the phone every day. And, That's not and I'm fair. Like, Wait, yeah. I was like, that, we, we maybe got a phone call like a month or something like that. It wasn't, it was very little communication, very little emailing even. Um, so it was, it was, I don't know. We just made it through and, Right, it worked out, I guess.
5: What about when your dad came home from deployment?
6: Oh man, those reunions are always like sob fest. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's always. I guess again, I think that's probably hardest for the spouse yeah. to like get used to life again with your significant other. But as a child, I feel like it's just exciting. Yes. It's just like, yay, dad's home. Yes. And and you don't really have to get used to it. It's
5: just exciting. Zoe mentioned the paper ring thing. And in my family, we called it a paper chain. And I had my mom tell me about our experiences with paper chains and other activities my family would do while my dad was on deployment. So a paper chain, first of all, it's construction paper that we cut in strips.
4: And then you make circles with them and staple them together and you link them together. So it's a nice, long, colorful paper chain. And we would do one for every day dad was gonna be gone so that you kids had a grasp on like how long he's gonna be gone. But then as it got shorter, you guys would get, you know, be able to know, oh, it's getting closer to dad coming home. Um, so you'd have to take a link off every day and you guys would take turns or just do it together. It was super super cute and then there was one deployment though where they kept extending him or we just didn't really know the end date i believe and so we i had to add links on you know after you guys had gone to bed or whatever i would add a few more every time we knew it got extended so that you wouldn't know i just didn't want it to be so obvious when i added 30 to 40 more chains So that happened then, and then there was another one, I think the very last one he had, where you guys were older, I think high school and middle school for you guys, so we didn't do the paper chain thing, and instead my friend decided that it would be a fun little thing to do every Wednesday she bought, or we would buy a bottle of wine. And it had to be a different kind every single time. And we would drink the bottle and then we would write notes on the bottle, whether we liked it or not, what we did for the day, whatever, and we had different colored pens. And then we would line them up Um, up on top of the counter in the kitchen, up on top of the cupboards, I mean. So we had them all on display. Um, And it was a little daunting at the end to see how many weeks he was gone, because there were so many bottles of wine.
5: That's more like a count up than a count down. It
4: really was just a count up, because we didn't know how long he was going to be gone, so we decided, you know what, instead of that, we'll just have something exciting in the middle of the week for me to look forward to, and having a fun time with my friend, so that was fun.
5: When I was talking with my friend, Sarah, I asked her about how her family would lessen the blow during the times when her dad was gone because of the military.
7: We had a, so I was really little when my dad was doing his trips, which are the same as deployments. They're just not in one area. You don't stay in one station. You just keep moving around, but same length. And we had this little chalkboard that was like, There are blank many days until daddy's home. And I was little, so it was like, I was like four to six years old. And my mom would write the number and every day we'd wake up and we were like, it's time to change the number. And we'd count down every day. And then you could track the progress. And then we knew how close he was to coming home. Made a little bit more bearable.
5: I asked my mom what she would say when a new military wife would ask her if it ever gets easier.
4: Deployment, to me, was so hard. But then I when I look back on it, it was one of the easiest ones. And I didn't know it then. Like, it was one of the hardest because I'd never known. It was the unknown. I didn't know. But I look back on that going, golly, I mean, for five of the six months, basically, it was just me and Peanut. I mean, that was easy. It's just me and Peanut. I go to work. I come home to take care of a dog. I mean, that's it. That's all I've got. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I look back on it. You know, the hardest ones for me is when you guys were, you know, high school and middle school, and to keep you connected to Dad and Dad connected to you guys, and you're growing up so fast and doing all these, you know, old pre-adult things. And I need his help. That one was that one was harder because not only am I missing him, but now I've got to help my kids be okay with missing him. And so that those those. So I had to, I have to tell wives that. Unfortunately, I don't think it gets, I don't think that ever gets easier. That's one of the hardest things to go through.
5: My friend Noah's dad deployed a number of times, and I asked him if his family ever had to make paper chains like my family.
3: We did something like that when he was, like, gone in Cuba for, like, six months. Mm -hmm. From what I remember, it's really
6: just, like, mark a day on the calendar and, you know, just do like a, an informal countdown like that
3: mm-hmm.
6: um but yeah like
3: especially like you know later on um when he was like you know when you're like older and like his deployments were like you know two three weeks we're like okay like it's it's gonna be weird for a little while but like it's it's just two or three weeks like it's not it's not too bad
5: In my conversation with John, we talked about what his family would do during deployments.
3: You know, nothing's nothing's like the memories. We've got, we've got recordings of Jess reading um, all of the odd chapters in uh, Harry Potter books, where <laughs> I would read the even chapters and she would read the odd chapters. So at night, when, the, when she was deployed, <laughs> she'd read chapter one, I'd read chapter two, we'd play for her chapter three, and then we'd have them go to bed. And that was something that we did throughout the entire deployment. We still have those recordings, and it was and it was video. She re- we made sure that she had a camera on there so that they could see her reading to
5: them. Oh my gosh, that is so cool.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great techniques out there to try to soften the blow of the departure.
5: John also told me about things spouses would do for their service members while they were gone.
3: At the very first deployment, the one where Jess was um, was with the gunslingers, VFA-105, and the Wives there were doing this one thing where it was called the um, it was the bra pillow get together. They bought enormous bras like like double D size bras, and they would stuff them and they would stitch them up, and then they would embroider like ridiculous sayings. So one of the one of the guys' call signs was Cooter, so one of them had embroidered on this like massive bra Cooter's Hooters, (laughs) and they would send them out to the ship and the guys would put them on the chairs in the ready room <clears throat> so that they had like this thing and uh, I went out and got a pair of red boxers that were spy versus spy because just the intel officer and uh, they stitched up the boxers for me and then I stuffed them and we sent that out and you know you can you can get out there and you can participate you just have to figure out how you're gonna do it and the more you do it and the more that they see that you're willing to adapt and participate and figure out how to make it fun for yourself, the more fun that everybody's going to have with the situation.
5: I asked my mom to tell me how often we were able to talk to my dad while he was on deployment.
4: When he was first deploying, uh, you, you were only able to hear his voice about once every three weeks, but as the deployments went on, and he got higher ranked and he could get to a phone easier, then it was like, okay, we need to hear your voice once a week. I mean, the kids need it. We need to just make sure that we still have dad. But in the beginning, we didn't hear him very often, and it was hard. That was a tough part. But I'd always go and try and visit him every deployment, somewhere, somewhere all over the world. And we always had the military family that would step up and say, I'll take your kids. I'll keep them, you go play.
5: Do you have an example?
4: Yeah, there was one time where I wanted to go visit dad in Australia and we had one set of friends that offered to take your brother and then two other sets of friends that wanted to split up and have you because part of them, what they could only be, one of them could only watch you during school and she had a daughter the same age as you so you guys would walk to school together. And then you stayed at my other friend, Jackie's, for the weekend because they were going out of town. So everybody, but that, and it happened fast. It was within three days where your dad was like, are you coming to Australia? And then I thought, well, if I can get the kids covered, you know, I'll think about it. And three days later, everybody had stepped up and said, yep, we'll take your kids. You go and have fun and, and enjoy yourself. And it
5: was pretty amazing. My friend John had a similar experience that he shared with me
3: when we got to Lamore which was where we met you and your awesome family and when i got there she was getting deployed right away and it was going out with your dad and she was the she was the uh, intel for the entire air wing and we had two really young kids that was that was right after the middle east tour so we just we were just moving from two years in the middle east and even though we'd had like tag teams and stuff like that i'd never been like alone alone like there's nobody to tag in when they're deployed, and it was and it was very difficult. Um, and my best friend from the very first deployment from 10 years ago happened to be there at the time, Jessica Heck, and uh, she was really helpful. She has two kids, both of them around my kids' age, and there was a port call coming up a couple of months in. And one of Jessica's best friends, Lacey Dill, who I'm sure you know and love love Lacey to death. She's amazing. And I didn't know that at the time, but I knew that Jess Heck said she was amazing and that was all I needed to know. And she had a son who my son had already met and bonded with there in the Lamar area. And you know they were lip like peas in a pod and that was great. And she offered to watch John, Jessica was gonna watch my daughter Kayla for a week so I could fly out to Thailand and kind of get like a, a reset on the whole thing because it just, you know, it was so difficult. We got there, we're transitioning and the, the move and the schools and the everything else and then whoosh, the military just takes them away. And this woman who I didn't know at all, just all of a sudden is like, yeah, I'll take your son for a week. You don't, you don't see that outside the military. Not really. And it's, it's an extraordinary thing. And from the time I got back from that visit and then for the next five months until she got back home, everything was fine. Never struggled again but I wouldn't have had that without the military community. It's extraordinary. The fact that you can just trust pretty much anybody as soon as you know that this person chose to wear the uniform. We don't have a draft anymore. Everybody that goes in has chosen this lifestyle to become better. And that right there is, you know, is most of what you need to know. You're going to you're going to differ with a lot of people on politics and all kinds of other things including some of my best military friends but I'd still trust every single one of them with my life and my kids' lives they're they're amazing people so that was the that was the main that was the main example that came to mind that time I left my kid with a stranger
5: John told me about how deployment as a male military spouse can sometimes be emasculating but only if you let it
3: There was What's, I forget what the special name is, but when you get to the halfway point of the deployment, they normally have a celebratory dinner that they'll all go out to because you're, you're on the downhill part. So we go out to dinner somewhere there in the Virginia Beach area, and it's 12 women and me sitting at a table, and not less than two or three people came up to me and said, like, what cologne are you wearing? <laughs> I mean, people have, of, uh, people have a lot of fun with it. Um, I think I responded Old Spice at the time, which I would never wear. That was just my dad's cologne. Um, (laughs) so it's, it's what you, um, it's what you make of it. Sometimes it's a battle. It can be very frustrating sitting through and hearing wives get thanked, especially when it's like COs and people like that, that are, you know, that are the ones doing it. And you just have to try to be productive about your feedback saying, you know, if you guys would like more male spouses to come out and participate, you need to frame things better, because um, it can feel emasculating if you let it. You just have to choose not to let it, but that's, you know, that starts with going out there, and not everybody seeks out rocking the boat, um, because that can be really difficult. You know. I don't have a problem with it, but that's just me. <laughs>
5: During one of the conversations with my mom, she told me about the best part of military deployments. It
4: was, deployments were hard, but then with that comes one of the best things in the entire world that nobody could even, you can't even bottle that type of energy, but the homecoming and really the prep for the homecoming. You want to talk about some high energy. That is the most exciting time I can even imagine. I mean, we, The wives are, we're sitting there getting our hair done and picking out our outfits, picking out the outfits for the kids, getting their hair done, getting, you know, Danielle and I getting our nails done, um, cleaning the house, getting the yards prepped, cleaning the cars. I mean, it was just a lot of prep with just us. And then, going to the squadron and decorating their squadron with a bunch of homecoming things and then picking out what their homecoming gift is because we always had a gift for the pilots when they came home. Sometimes it was whiskey glasses with their, you know, their name and squadron engraved in it or a beer mug or, you know, I mean, it was just so many different things that we would just pick out and get it all prepped and you kids would be so excited. And I mean, the, the energy is phenomenal. And then you get there, and you get to that day where it's homecoming, and everything's jittery. I mean, every cell in your body is freaking out with excitement, and you get there, and you see those planes fly over, and he always tells me which one he's gonna be in the flyover, and which one it's gonna, you know, which. What number and everything and so I can always let you kids know and be like there's daddy that one's daddy he's flying over us right now and you know the tears would start as soon as we saw those planes and everyone's crying and the planes fly in they land they get out of the planes and they come to us right away it is always funny because they have this little tiny ribbon that's trying to hold the families back from running out on the flight line and it never holds us I mean it's just there for decoration I swear just to keep us to think we're going to be held back. But one of my favorite things was the last time the F-14 was going to fly ever, and it was huge. There were 73 different media there to to, to videotape, and, and they took interviews. Um, it was huge. There was a huge flyover of all of the last F-14s. And then what was cool is they're all landing and they all park and the pilots are still in them. So it's driving us crazy because we're standing there and we know our husbands are right there but we can't get to them because they're gonna do this whole thing and they park and they're, all their noses are kind of facing each other and we're looking down this long line and the last plane flies in and lands and it's the nose is facing us and I know that one's your dad because he told me he got to be the last one. And then they made it this huge thing where all the canopies of the planes opened at the same time. And Dad stands up and he's just waving an American flag and the crowd is going insane. And the pictures are phenomenal from all of this, of course. But he, t- he said, you know, I get to wave the flag and this is, that'll be me. And then as soon as they start like getting out of the plane, they take off some of their gear because you know, they have a lot of flight gear on, whatever. And then they all walk in this line to- towards us. And we're all standing there and we're like, when can we go, when can we go? And I'm like, whatever. And I know, I know several of us are like, screw this. And we just ripped that ripped that ribbon and we just ran out to our husbands and grabbed him and hugged him. And, and that's when, that's the big fly in that I surprised your dad by having Nana and Grandpa, Betsy and Dan and, and Morgan and Matthew there. And then, you know, we're all running out to, to grab your dad and he was so surprised that we surprised him with even more families. So it was really cool.
5: My friend Sarah discussed with me one of the times her dad left on deployment.
7: I remember leaving and it really sucked because I had to go to practice right after. And I just like cried while swimming and I was like, no one look at me. (laughs) Luckily my my coach had been former military so he was just like, take your time. And I was like, thanks Alan. (laughs) But then it was not that, not terrible. We, we did, there were definitely some days when my mom was frustrated and, because I mean, dad's gone. Hard to control three teenagers. Kids and dad and life, and life. She was like, this is a shitty situation. But it's just, no one wants to be deployed.
5: I asked Sarah where she would pick her dad up from when he came home. And she said,
7: I don't remember. I think he just showed up and I was like, dad, until... Until I was older, in Afghanistan, when he came back from that deployment, we picked him up from the airport in the Colorado Springs. And we had signs. And it was very cute. Yes, It was signs. Less dramatic than I thought it was going to be. Less? Yeah, not a lot of tears. No, there were no tears. It was just yeah. like, hi, Dad. Hugs. Missed you. Get, him, get in the car. How long was he there? Nine months? Plus another two months prior to that training. So he was gone for like two months in the States just not with us, and then nine months overseas.
5: I asked Sarah what she remembers as the best part of her dad
7: coming home. When Kate and I were really little, Kate now has hazel eyes, but I have my dad's brown eyes and she did too, and so he would come home and he would put on Brown Eyes Girls by Van Morrison and he would blast it in the kitchen and put us on his feet. And then dances around the kitchen to Brown Eyed Girl. Because <laughs> he was just so excited to be home with us. Dancing with his babies. Sarah told me about the
5: saddest member of their family when her dad would leave. He Harper
7: was devastated. Harper is like this 120-pound yellow lad, Who's just the stupidest but cutest being in the world. He's such a gentle giant. And when dad left, his... His father, he was like, what's going on? Where's Daryl? And he was just so sad. And then when dad got back, thrilled, so excited, followed him around the house for like two months, everywhere. Anytime dad was home, I would follow him around. Anytime my dad would have to leave for a trip, he would like try to get in the car with him. He was, there have been multiple times when my dad like turned on the car to warm up and Harper and like leave the door open to like go grab something and put it in. And Harper'd be inside and he'd just be sitting like, you're not leaving without me. It was so cute. I was like, oh my God, you small bean.
5: I had a conversation with my Nana about the impact of the military on her life. And I asked her what she would do while my grandpa was in Vietnam. They had what they
0: called a waiting wives group and people in a community, the women whose husbands were in Vietnam would get together. My, My daddy was very protective. I was his baby girl. And my husband had said to him, please take good care of my daughter. And he took that very seriously. Uh, So there was a wedding, a waiting wives group, and I joined this group and my sister-in-law, after six months, let's see, no she was already there. I'm from the Tri-Lakes area in Northwest Alabama. There's Florence, Sheffield, and Tuscumbia. I'm from Sheffield. Aunt Janelle was from Florence. She joined the group and we used to play bridge. Not very well, but we played and had a good time.
5: During another conversation I had with my Nana, she told me about a time when Grandpa came home that was impactful for her.
0: My husband was coming home from Vietnam and he was going to land in Memphis, Tennessee. So I drove up to meet him. I wanted to meet him by myself and I am directionally challenged and there was no GPS. I had to open the map, and my father had drawn in pencil which highways I was supposed to go. And I did make it, but more than likely I got lost a couple of times. And then he came, he landed, we went back to the motel, we walked inside, because it was June and he said, I'm freezing.
5: Just so you know, I was at my grandparents' house for family dinner when we were talking. And my grandpa chimed in when he heard we were talking about him.
8: What was funny is after I got back and I met her in Memphis, we of course went to the local motel and uh, we went to bed and it was so cold with the air conditioning on in June and I froze to death. Because I was acclimatized to, you know, 100 degrees and 100% humidity. Because when it rains in the monsoon season over in Vietnam, it just rains for days with no let up. Where the water went, I do not know. But anyway, when I got there, uh, I had to get up in the middle of the night and go out by the swimming pool and sit down in the lounge chair where it was maybe 80 degrees. which was cold for for me. Anyway, she got up in the middle of the night, where is he, where is he? (laughs) Stuck her head out there, what are you doing out there? I said, well, I'm warming up.
0: (laughs) I was burning up, but he was cold. So he would go outside and sit for a little while, then he'd come back inside and we turned down the air. And then I started sweating. But it didn't matter because he was home, and that was the most important thing.
5: I had a conversation with one of the civilian staff members at the University of Colorado Boulder's Naval ROTC program about her thoughts on reintegration after deployment.
2: A spouse gets orders gets deployed if if they're in aviation or if they're surface warfare submarine you know they they go away for six months at a time and that leaves the other spouse if they're you know if they're married and if there's a spouse and if there's kids so one person has to stay home raise the kids keep the household do everything and then six months later, their spouse comes back. And that's gotta be so hard. After you're used to doing everything, if you're the one that stayed at home, and now you have somebody coming back, it's gotta be, it's such a sacrifice. And, and that people stay married through that. You know, um, to be separated for so long And then be reunited. And then down the road, separation happens again. You know, I think about people that, husbands that weren't there for the birth of their children. Definitely.
5: In my case.
2: (laughs) Oh, so your dad wasn't there? He was not there. He came home and I was already two months old. Wow. Yeah, see, I mean, come on. Who does that? You know, that's that's what your military people do. They sacrifice like that. Um, If there's a big hurricane coming and you have to get prepared, well, the person who's deployed can't just come home and help with that. So they make tremendous sacrifices and it builds strong families, I think.
5: Marlene is one of the kindest people I have ever met. During a conversation with my mom, I asked her to tell me about her first experience with deployment. Um, but that first deployment, I mean, it really did hit
4: me like a brick. It was tough. I mean, I grew up in Colorado, home with my parents all the time, my siblings all the time. I didn't know what this. There's a, there's a part of your family that could leave, and you don't get to contact him, and see him when you want. This was this was going to be insane. So. Prepping for that first deployment was really hard. Um, I didn't know at all what to, what to expect. And yet, the first deployment, we didn't even have email right away. They, get, they did get it set up uh, a bit into the deployment, but we didn't even have email to talk to them. And so here's, you know, the love of my life is leaving me, <laughs> leaving me, not to mention I'm pregnant. So talk about being terrified.
5: You knew he was going on deployment when you were pregnant.
4: Well, your dad and I knew we were wanting to have kids, and we got his deployment schedule, which they usually put out three years at a time. So we had it, we knew we wanted to have kids, and we thought we would plan it so that he was home for the birth. And then the plan changed. When did you find out you were pregnant? Um, So I was probably about six or seven weeks along. It was a little later than normal just because I I didn't really expect to be pregnant as early as we were. And then... When did you tell Dad? So I had to wait a couple of weeks because he was on a ship doing a... They're called workups, so he was doing a training. And um, I didn't want to tell him via email, so I wanted to tell him in person. And I got on on an airplane to go
5: visit him in St. Martin. I had asked my dad the same question, and he told me about getting in line on the aircraft carrier to get on a Liberty boat to take him to see my mom.
1: So I didn't make the first boat. I made the second boat and knew I was in trouble at that point already. Um, But fortunately, one of the other officers in our squadron hung out with Stephanie uh, next to her because he was on that first boat, but he was just going to play golf. So that didn't, you know, wasn't a big deal, but... Uh, so anyway, he hung out with her, waiting for the second boat to come in. Was talking to her. I could see him. Obviously, I got off. Mom looked super pretty in a you know like spring dress and everything. And then uh, we got into the car, and we were staying in kind of a hotelish sort of place, but we were a little bit farther away from like with the pier area, so we had to drive over. And uh, once we got to the hotel knew she was going to tell me because I could just tell what yeah I could what? just tell how but could you tell because we were trying and just I don't know the way you know it's one of those things you know you know you know people well enough but uh, uh anyway so we got to the hotel and she said something along the lines of you're going to be a daddy and that was that
5: well what was it like for you when I was being born and you were stuck on the aircraft carrier
1: Well, we had uh, left on deployment, and it would probably have been about four and a half months. We'd probably spent four months flying in the Arabian Gulf. And, of course, everything was getting close. Mom goes into labor, and then once that happened, uh, I was able to use my my commanding officer's uh, stateroom. Had a phone that he could call, like satellite phone back to the states, and I would try and call every couple of hours get an update and then as things got closer i was calling every hour i think at that point and things didn't seem to be going too fast but i you know so i called one hour and everything was going well and was fine and then i called again and the first little thing that i heard on the phone was like a little tiny cry and it was i knew it was you and Grammy's the one that was holding the phone because staff is still in like you know post births whatever was going on you know on the on the bed it was like that quick so that's like the first point where i knew i had a daughter but it was still going to be seven more weeks before i got to come home and meet you
5: while i was at my grandparents house for family dinner i had a conversation with my mom my nana my grandpa and my dad about the day he was supposed to meet me
0: Stephanie's mom came out, and was there a month? Well, she was, the mom, my mom was there first for your birth, mm-hmm. and then
4: she left when you were 10 days old. Then it was like a week later, thank goodness, Nana and Grandpa showed up, stayed with me for several weeks, which was amazing. A of weeks. Then they left, then Aunt Mary came out. She was there for a week. She was supposed to leave the day before homecoming. Her flight got delayed. And she's like, great, now I'm gonna be here for homecoming, this is awkward. <laughs> but then dad's homecoming got delayed, so then it worked out for me to get, to get her back to the airport. It was just a mess. It was a lot of stress.
5: So what happened with your first homecoming?
1: Well, the first homecoming was delayed by about 24 hours, as it turns out. So we were on the carrier off the coast of California, and the normal procedure is to everybody takes off and all of the planes uh, marry up with a airborne tanker and then you fly all the way across the United States you airborne refuel off this tanker across the way and then you land in Oceania back you know back at home and the whole squadron is together However, we were over California somewhere, I think, and my aircraft, I was trying to airborne tank, and got in the basket, but there was it was leaking, and then it turns out, in the end, basically there was something wrong with my refueling probe, and so I had to land. I had to divert into Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Arizona, and everybody else kept going. And so everyone else is gonna go to the homecoming, and now, We tried to, you know, refuel the airplane, take off, go again, land somewhere else, refuel the airplane, try and take off again. But we wound up getting another maintenance light that we had to return to the field at. And you, and you can't, you know, three flights in one day is like the maximum. So you couldn't do any more. And so when I landed back, I had to call home and say, I'm not coming home today. And of course there were Reporters there that knew that I was supposedly coming in and going to meet my daughter for the first time, so they're ready for pictures and everything and that didn't happen, so yeah it uh anticlimactic for all involved, and I had to spend the night in Ohio, you know waiting to see my daughter again for the next day.
8: Uh, I guess your mom had already found out he wasn't going to make it home to Oceana. <laughs>
4: Well, it, was, it went back and forth. It was, oh, he's going to make it. Oh, wait, Yeah. someone else is going to give him a jet. So then we thought he was going to make it. And then he said, nope, it's not going to work out. So everybody flew in on one day. And me with a little brand new baby didn't get the husband home on the day the the, the the homecoming. She had
8: a nice little dinner with candles and everything ready. Oh. By the time I called her and said, uh, are you OK? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But
4: the, the commanding officer and his wife and a couple of other people came out the next day to help me welcome your dad home. And they went and took baby Danielle around the corner so that she wouldn't get scared with the loud jets. So they put her around, waited for him to park his jet, and then when he started walking out, they brought little baby Danielle out for dad to meet her. That's me. That was you. That was you. Mm. You were seven weeks old.
0: Yep. Okay, five minutes. Five minutes till dinner?
5: Yay.
3: Yay, it's food time.
5: Thanks for listening to this Military Life podcast. In this episode, we talked about the worst and best parts of deployment, and we were able to uncover some of the more personal stories that individuals have in regards to their association with the military. We have started to unfold the influence of the military and have opened our eyes to how it has shaped the lifestyles of those involved. My interviewees were supporting this initiative, and I want to personally thank my dad, my mom, John, my nana, Sarah, Marlene, Noah, Zoe, and my grandpa for lending their time and sharing their stories. Their contribution will help build the military community, increase our understanding of military family dynamics, and uncover the giant influence that the military has on everyone. Thank you for listening, and I can't wait for you to tune in next week.